0: Well, uh, normally you know, when I'm guest preaching uh, I, try to, I try to choose uh, a passage that the pastor probably hasn't preached on or probably won't preach on. You know, I try to go to some obscure part of the Old Testament, uh, you know, a psalm, but not the, not the psalms that normally get preached on, maybe one of the later chapters in Isaiah that speaks so well of the gospel. But today actually I'm going to preach out of the Old Testament, but I'm going to preach a very, very famous passage. Uh, But hopefully with a a slightly different, a very big picture take on it. So uh, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, if you'd like, in a print Bible. um, Or you can follow along, I believe it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read, this is the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. Hear God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying... And said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Amen. This is God's word. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that it would... uh, be uh, made alive in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we might understand it rightly and live by it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so some time back uh, uh, in uh, one of my uh, grad student Bible studies, uh, grad student Bibles also include a lot of you know, young professionals from the town, people who sort of fit into that, that age group. And there was, there was a woman who came. I don't even know who invited her. Um, and she's since, I mean, she's since become a part of our church. And I think, you know, she was, like, coming back to church after a divorce, and, uh, and so she was com- coming out, you know, sitting there in our, in our living room, and, you know, I don't know that she'd been, I don't know how, how much she'd been in church in recent years, but, you know, I asked her, like, oh, when you read the Bible, I don't know how we got on this, but when you read the Bible, how does it make you feel? And, um, or what, what do you get out of it? Something like that. And, you know, she said to me, it makes me feel guilty. You know, you got that, that refreshing honesty of someone who's, like, not you know, who's not trying to say the right church answer. It's like, how does the Bible make you feel? It makes me feel guilty. And um, uh, when we, that's very easy, right? When we come to the Bible, uh, we can come to it and maybe our only response, I mean, maybe our response should be guilt, but our only response is guilt. And definitely the 10 commandments is one of these passages that you could easily take it that way uh, and just end there. I mean, you know, the people of Israel, this, uh, like, how do they respond to it? They hear God speaking these words to them directly. This is on Mount Sinai, right? They've come out of Egypt. They've been brought out, out of, out of slavery, and they're at Mount Sinai, and they're, they're receiving the covenant with God, and God speaks to them directly, and they, they're afraid. They're afraid. Uh, and maybe that's our response, too, and maybe, maybe we preach it that even to ourselves when we think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, we do it in a way where it's... Um, the only outcome is uh guilt the only outcome is guilt and uh, so i want to talk about uh the ten commandments a little bit and think about it in the big picture because you know really there's a lot that you could say about the ten commandments really you know if uh, you were doing a uh, pastor tom was doing a sermon series on you it needs to be at least ten sermons there's so much you could talk about there's so much practical things how do you deal with anger how do you deal with temptation Uh, how how do you deal with honesty? Uh, What what does it mean to uh, worship God? Uh, What does it mean to honor your parents? For me, in campus ministry, it's very practical. Like, do your parents have, have, you know, how much control do they have over who you choose to marry? Or, you know, if you want to be a, a study art and they want you to study computer science, you know, how do you deal with those kinds of questions. Um, uh, images of Jesus, you know, should we have images of Jesus in our Sunday school materials? There's all sorts of stuff. Practical stuff, high theology stuff out of the Ten Commandments. I mean, in fact, you know, the traditional way Christian theology was taught was, um, we recited this earlier, you, you did three things. You, you, you worked through the Apostles' Creed, and you worked through the Ten Commandments, and you work through the Lord's Prayer. That's the traditional way that Christian theology was taught. So many, uh, so many of the great uh, theological works cover those three things, the Apostles Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. But uh, I'm not going to try to do that with you this morning to break down everything that you could conceivably talk about. You know, are you allowed to tell white lies to have a surprise birthday party? If you ask my opinion, no. <laughs> it goes wrong some of the time. may not go wrong 99 times out of 100, but when it goes wrong, you know, man, people are just as upset as if it was, if it was not a white lie. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ignore that and focus instead on the big picture. And I want to make two points about the Ten Commandments. First, and uh, bear with me here. I, I want to say the Ten Commandments is the most important passage in the Old Testament. The, the Ten Commandments is the most important passage in the Old Testament. And second, uh, second, the Ten Commandments is not the most important passage in the Old Testament. It is not the most important passage in the Old Testament. So, first, it, it is the most important passage. <laughs> Let me start with that. And uh, it is the most impas- important passage in the Old Testament. Why do I say that? Um, you know, I actually struggled with that as a kid. I mean, obviously, the Ten Commandments is a big deal. Often you're taught to memorize it. That's a good habit uh, to know, you know, what's the seventh commandment? You shall not commit adultery. Versus the sixth, you shall not murder. Or the fourth, remember the Sabbath day. Or the fifth, honor your father and your mother. We, we learn it that way. You know, we, we put up monuments to it. Uh, for years and years and years, we, we've taken our college students down to Ocean City for a retreat. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we go down to Ocean City, and uh, f- for many years there was right in front of the courthouse down there in Ocean City, there's a monument of the Ten Commandments. And then they were fighting over it in the courts. You know, there was an effort to try to push it off of public land. And one year, you know, we were driving into town and it had moved like across the street in front of a church, right? A church had taken it. But, you know, we put the Ten Commandments on monuments. We go, uh, my, my family and I, we were in Washington DC, lash uh, lash they have Confucius there, they have Solon from Athens, they have some other famous lawgivers from history, but Moses is there with this passage. Uh, but I actually struggled with it because as a kid, it's like, why, why Exodus 20? Because they're competitors. They're competitors, even, even for this kind of passage that sums up God's law, how we're to worship Him and how we're to love one another and you know you think of passages like Micah 6 you know students I minister to to college students students will ask like oh what's God's will for my life and usually they mean like what job what career does he want me to take what individual does he want me to marry that they mean very like give me a step by step and, and I'll say to them Micah 6:8. What is uh, he has told you oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God they're in one verse you have God's will summed up. Walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Love God and love others. So you think Jesus himself is asked, right? The rich young ruler comes up, this young, this young man comes up who's you know, prosperous. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do, you know, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus uh, 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 say to him? Or well let, let me back up. He's asked by a scribe, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? Does he turn actually to Exodus 20? He does that with the rich young ruler. I'm getting ahead of myself. What does Jesus say? The greatest commandment? He doesn't go to Exodus 20. He goes to Deuteronomy 6, verse five. "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength." And secondly, he goes to Leviticus 19:18. "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." So I anyway, for me, as a kid growing up in church, I was blessed to grow up in church, but growing up in church, I'm gonna be like, doesn't that mean that instead of the 10 commandments on those monuments that we had in front of courthouses and that have mostly now been put in front of churches, instead of that, shouldn't we have that Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, right? Love the Lord your God, that's the vertical, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And then that horizontal love your neighbor as yourself right? That's saying the same thing actually as Exodus 20, right? The first four commandments are that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? By he is the only, you shall have no other gods before him. No, we don't make idols. We don't take his name in vain. We remember the Sabbath day. That honoring God, lo- loving God, and then loving our neighbors. How do we love our neighbors? We do not, we honor our parents. We do not murder or commit adultery or steal or bear false witness or covet. And so, why the, why the Ten Commandments? Why is it, why it, as opposed to those two passages that Jesus cites? Well, but I would say it is, it is actually correct to focus on the Ten Commandments the way we have. And why is that? Here uniquely, let me just cast that vision. Here uniquely, God speaks with his own voice to the people of Israel. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're, they're so terrified by it, the people. They say to Moses, you know, don't let God speak to us. You talk to him. They needed Moses as an intermediary, a go-between. So Moses would go up on the mountain, and he would talk to God. And then he would come down, you know, with his face shining. He had, to, he had to veil his face because it shone from when he was speaking with the Lord. And that's how the law was received. But here, God speaks directly to the people. Imagine yourself, put yourself in the mountain. I know we don't, we don't really have mountains in New Jersey. Um, but, you know, a big mountain, Mount Sinai in the desert. You've been brought out of slavery. There's thunder and there's lightning on the mountain. And then the voice of God speaking. And what does God choose to speak? He chooses to say this. And this comes right at the beginning. You know, it comes at the end, right after uh, chapters 1 to 19 of Exodus, after he's brought the people out of Egypt and out of slavery. And here what will follow in Exodus is the covenant is made. This covenant, this uh, contract is far too light a word. This this foundational set of promises God has made between him and his people Israel that we call the law, the law given on Mount Sinai, it it starts right here in Exodus 20 with these words. They sum it up. And the the Deuteronomy verse and the Leviticus verse, you know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, they they come later looking back on the law summing it up and the ten commandments comes at the start summing it up so everything that follows there're 613 commands in the law and these first 10 sum up what follows they are the two Deuteronomy 6:5 Leviticus 19:18 and there are the 10 here in Exodus 20 and they sum up the other 601 So this gets it done. This tells us, this lays that foundation of what it means uh, to worship God. And, you know, in coming to it, you know, how should we respond? Because may, maybe you do respond, you know, when you come to it. There are different ways you can respond. Maybe you respond in guilt. Maybe you respond like the rich young ruler. Let me go back to the rich young ruler. You know, like the rich young ruler, he came and he asked Jesus, how must, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus mentions the second Part of the Ten Commandments, you know You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. And the man says, what does the rich young ruler say? He says, oh, I've done all these since my youth. Maybe that's you. I I don't think it's most of us, but maybe it's you. I myself, I was raised in the church. So through no merit of my own, like I was raised to live my life in a way that followed God's will. And so I can say, you know, I've never murdered anyone. How about you? I've been faithful to my wife. I've 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 never been arrested for theft. I've I've given testimony in court. I mean in truth, but I've never borne false witness. I can say with a clean conscience, in court at least. <laughs> you know, coveting. Well, you know, i I've I've been blessed with a wonderful life, of a beautiful family, I have good work. So maybe maybe like the rich young ruler, you could have that self satisfaction. That could be you. I'm good. I'm good with God. And uh, you know, that does not work for everyone. It does not work for everyone. I mean, you, you think of, uh, this is like the, the, the classic way, we have a group of students who do this, they do street evangelism. There's a particular uh, road where people go out to drink um, in Princeton, you know, students, so they're there at like, you know, midnight, 2 a.m., and they're having conversations about the gospel and you know one way you're talking about our need for a savior is going to the Ten Commandments. One way you can do it is to go to the Ten Commandments and you ask people well have you ever lied? Uh, Have you ever been angry in your heart? And so often it brings us uh, to that set of guilt and for me growing up in the church I was taught well enough in the church. That I knew when I came uh, to this passage, I knew that it was true. But the reality was, was, that was a, it, w- it was a hard truth. You know, when we come to this passage, what do we see? We see who God is. We see his character. Right? He is holy. He alone is God. His name is worthy of praise. His name is worthy of never using casually. Never using is a swear word. Never using lightly. Never use lightly. He's worthy of worship because he is beautiful. Also, he is holy. Right? He is morally perfect. He is steadfast in his love. And, you know, for me as a kid growing up in the church, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to have that self-satisfied. Even though I, in, a, in a superficial sense, I've kept these commandments from my youth. Thanks to my parents. I knew I wasn't keeping them in my heart. Surely you know the same. And I saw how true it was, but I saw the gap between the reality of who God is and the reality of who I was. You know, I remember that when I was in middle school, I think really there was a, I mean it's different for, for different people who grew up in the church, how you come to faith. You know, for my, for my older brother, it was just sort of a gradual process. For me, there was a particular day I was sitting in church in Sunday school and, uh, and I remember just looking at the scripture. You know, so often I just, I, just, I just felt that guilt. You know, I was like my friend who I, who I mentioned who came to Bible study. I came to the Bible and it, it, I knew it was true. But what do you do with that truth? Because I, like the people of Israel, it just made me feel my own inadequacy. But I remember looking at the scripture and knowing that it was true. And what do I mean by that? I could see the beauty of God's truth of his character I could see the beauty when we come to Exodus 20 we shouldn't just see a list of rules we should see something that's very beautiful God is holy even if we are not others really we want them to be holy as God is holy do you see the beauty of the Lord in the ten commandments do you see the beauty of the lord that he is worthy of worship and that he calls us to be righteous as he is righteous and what a wonderful thing that would be if we had the law written on our hearts so the ten commandments is of profound importance and you know jesus even he takes it farther he takes it farther Uh, How does the Ten Commandments come up? In the New Testament, I mentioned the rich young ruler. Well, what is Jesus' longest sermon? It's the Sermon on the Mount. And what does he do? So in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he goes up on a hill. This is very intentional imagery. As Moses was on a mountain, Jesus goes up on a raised place. And he's preaching. And what does he say about the law? He said, I came not to abolish the law. Not one jot or tittle, not, not the smallest part of it will pass away. And he takes these commandments specifically. He takes, he takes you, you shall not murder and he takes it to the level of our heart. Because if you're just angry against your brother in your heart, you're guilty of violating the commandment. He takes it with the seventh commandment, with committing adultery. You know, even if you're, you're the, you, you, you lust in your heart, then you have committed, you violated the commandment. Uh, so, friends, uh, the Ten Commandments is, from that perspective, you could argue that most important passage in the Old Testament, it shows us who God is. But there are challenges, you know, again, you could come to it self-satisfied, in which case you need to read that Sermon on the Mountain, respond in humility, you could come, you could come to it and just take it lightly, I, I, some, you know, to some degree in the church this is what we do because we are focused on grace rightly. Then we can come to the law and say, well, that's be- maybe it is beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful, but that's uh, not me. So, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just uh, uh, roll with it, our inability to keep the commands. In which case, I think we really need to fo- behold the beauty of God's holiness. But alternatively, if you do, and if you don't have grace, then you can come away in saying, not just guilt, but despair okay, it's true, but how, how can I be saved? Because indeed, by the standard of the Sermon on the Mount, I am a murderer. Maybe I've never murdered someone in a way they would send me to, to jail, but I am a murderer and an adulterer and a, a thief and a false witness, and I chase after other gods. And so that leads me to my second point, which is that the, the Ten Commandments is not, not the most important passage in the Old Testament, it's not. And here, I want to talk about that 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 big picture image, that big picture. You know, yesterday we we'd come come back from we were on the beach down at Point Pleasant, and uh, we'd come come from the beach, and you know I put on the the Phillies game. Um, I was watching it on my phone. My the kids the kids wanted to watch it, and so I put it on. There's a TV in the hotel room, and this is really old television, and uh, so I put it I put it on the TV, and what you know here's the game, and it's like the. The image was, like, cut off. Remember this with televisions? You do this with movies, too. You'd have a movie, and they'd put it on your old TV, and they'd just chop off the edges. Couldn't even see half the score, right? You are like, what do the Phillies have? I know the Giants have four. What do the Phillies have, right? It's like there was no big picture. It's just zoomed in too far. I even tried to fix it. I couldn't fix it. You know, just go back to, to watching on the, on the phone, on the laptop. What is the big picture of the Old Testament? Do you have that? Do you know the big picture of Scripture? Do you know the big picture of the Old Testament? There, there, at a minimum, at a minimum, hopefully we go, and when we read the Ten Commandments and we say, well, yeah, how can we be saved? What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler? You know, go and uh, give all your money to the poor. He sees the man's heart, and he sees that the man loves his money. He may be keeping the the later commandments, but he's not keeping, you shall have no other gods before me, because he loves his money. And so we know if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, I hope that you can say, well, how are we saved? Yeah, we can't be saved by following the law. Of course not. Can you be good enough? Mm Mm-mm. But Jesus, he is righteous. And he came and laid down his life on the cross to pay the price for sin. The covenant made at Sinai, uh, if they were obedient, they would be blessed, and if they were disobedient, they would be cursed. And for a thousand years, we see this unfold in the Old Testament, uh, with the reality, of course, that they could not keep the law. And so, indeed, they did end up ultimately in exile. And so, hopefully, you have, at a minimum, that big picture. You know, you can jump forward to the New Testament and say, well, what is the answer uh, to Mount Sinai and to, to, to the... To the thunder and to the lightning, the answer is Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the empty tomb. And so we are forgiven and so we have new life. But but then my second point isn't why the Ten Commandments is not the most important passage in the, the Bible. It's actually, I want to focus on the Old Testament and on the Old Testament big picture. What is the Old Testament big picture? And I think, you know, the Old Testament does not start in Exodus 20. And grace, salvation by grace through faith does not start with Jesus Christ. Has anyone ever asked you, like in the Old Testament, how were people saved? Like before Jesus, were there... there, Someone asked me this not long ago. It's a a, a wonderful thing about campus ministry is have people who don't know anything about the Bible and don't know what questions they're not supposed to ask. (laughs) Right? They don't know what questions they're not supposed to ask. And so they just ask them to you. And so, you know, you get asked, like, what were people saved? How would you answer? Were people saved before Jesus? The Old Testament saints? Yes. And how were they saved? Were they saved like if they were good enough? Like the rich young ruler, his self-conception, like, oh, I am righteous enough. Is that how salvation was laid out in the Old Testament? What are we told uh, what is Paul? Paul goes to great length to lay this out uh, in Romans. You know, how was Abraham saved? Abraham trusted the promises of God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right? Abraham received the promises of God, and he believed, and he responded in faith. Right? Exodus 20 and Sinai, the people of Israel, it comes in the context of God's covenant with Abraham. You've got to go back. To Genesis 12, to Genesis 15, to God's covenant with Abraham. He called Abraham, abraham it's not, not, not because of any merit in Abraham, not because Abraham was the best guy in Ur of the Chaldees. maybe he was, but, uh, uh, but he, God called Abraham by God's own choice to create a people for himself. And what did God promise Abraham? He said, I will make your descendants. Here, Abraham and Sarah, they were too old to have kids. He said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. We were just, I mean, sand, man. We were on the sea and the the surf was heavy. So, you know, the kids were getting pounded into the the sand. There was sand everywhere. Um, In the hotel room, in the bathroom. You know, I mean, you know, everywhere, right? You know how it is. More numerous than the sand on the seashore. This is God's promise to Abraham, who had no children, who was too old. I will make your descendants, I mean look at the Christian church around the world now. Millions and millions of people. My grad student ministry, you know, because it's drawing people from all over the world, we have 19 countries represented, 19, and it's not just, I mean there are ones you might expect, uh, like China, and, but also Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, Nigeria. Egypt, but also Turkey. I mean, a guy who was raised Muslim. Also countries like Finland and Germany and France, Brazil, many Brazilians actually, lots of Christians in Brazil. The sands on the seashore, this is God's promise to Abraham. I will give you millions, hundreds of millions, billions Of descendants who will know my name this is God's promise and it is a promise of his own choice a promise of grace don't read the old testament as if there is not grace in it God has made his promises to Abraham before Abraham he promised Eve right after the fall and Adam and Eve are being kicked out what was the promise to Eve her own a child would come the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent Right there in Genesis 3, there's a promise of salvation. God will raise someone up. It comes after Exodus 20. You you think of King David. What was God's covenant with King David? As part of that covenant of grace, his promise to David was, I will make your kingdom an everlasting kingdom. And the king who follows after you, he will reign forever. Of course, we can't keep the Ten Commandments. That's not something that was discovered in the time of Christ. Of course, we are not able to be righteous, to earn our salvation, but God has always had a plan to save a people for himself, freely. Now, what did he say through the prophet Jeremiah? I will give a new covenant and the law will be written on your hearts. The law will be written on your hearts. And so, even our, our Old Testament brethren—they saw this. They received this great truth of how to worship God and how to love one another. It is still truth. It is eternal truth now for us today. It has not been abolished. None of it has been taken away. And yet, it falls to us, on who have received the fulfillment of the ages to proclaim Jesus Christ as that ultimate king in the line of David, as that seed of the woman, the child who was brought to crush the head of the serpent. It falls to us to know what it is to receive the Holy Spirit who writes the law on our hearts. And so this is why I think it's crucial that we see that Exodus 20 is not the whole picture of the Old Testament. We should know it, memorize it, but we should be able to answer to others the big picture. God is saving a people for himself. He didn't start that with Jesus. He started it right after the fall. He had it planned from all eternity. Do you know what it is? to see the beauty of God. Do you know what it is to understand God's grace? I was, you know, some years back, we had a, a professor um, who was visiting uh, at Princeton. He was a fellow in one of the programs. Um, he's actually a seminary professor down at Southern Seminary. Wilsey, John Wilsey's his name. And you know, he'd been in Texas. He'd been at uh, Southwestern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary down in Dallas. And when he was down there, he did a um, he did prison ministry. And uh, what did, you know, prison ministry look like? Specifically, he was doing theological education. He was a seminary professor. He was doing theological education for prisoners. And uh, what kind of prisoners? Specifically, they were training up uh, men for ordination uh, to be ministers within the prison system and specifically within maximum security. They were, you know, here you have, you, they had a whole group of men who were sentenced to, to life in prison without parole. And so they were raising some of them up to be preachers. And why were they in prison, life sentences without parole? Like, what do you have to do? What crime do you have to commit to get a life sentence without parole? You have to commit murder, not even just any murder. You need to commit murder in some particularly bad way. So his whole flock, right, his whole class, imagine this, your 70 professor, his whole class, instead of being good little Christians who, you know, kept the commandments from their youth, it was a group of men who were murderers. Self-confessed murderers, admitted murderers, bad murderers, but saved by grace. And he was raising them up to go through the prison system in Texas to preach the word. That was going to be their calling then. They weren't going to get out. Their mission field was clear. Fellow prisoners. And, you know, it's like I believe in salvation by grace alone, but it's funny, you know, when you hear that, you're like, oh, it's a little shocking because I just assume, you know, church is for, for, like, good people. It's church for, I mean, you look like really nice people, I must say. Clean up nice. It's a beautiful church, a beautiful town. And do you see that church is for murderers? It's for lawbreakers. God is calling people to himself, and it's not because they are good enough. It's not because you are good enough, but it's because he's provided salvation freely as a gift to you if you will believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And yes, we do not stop there. If we love Jesus, if we say, yes, I know what I've been saved from, we don't stop there and say, okay, well, I'm just going to continue on living however, No, it puts on our hearts a debt of love. The Spirit writes on our hearts this law. And Lord willing, you start start to see it not as a burden, but as something that is beautiful. And day by day, step by step, I mean, I think we struggle with sin all our days until God calls us home or until he returns. But day by day, you become able to live this out. Right? Do, you, do you ever find that uh, in your life where you're like you're, you're in a moment and it calls for you uh, for for a level of compassion, a level of grace, uh, you know, an abilityness? Like you're in a fight, and you need to back down. You need to uh, you you need to uh, uh, repent. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing better than you ever thought possible for yourself. You're like, this is the spirit at work in me, right? I've been a stubborn man all my life, but today, today I'm going to be tenderhearted. You know, I've been filled with anxiety for years and years and years, but today I am content. Why? Because the Spirit is at, at work in me to write the law on my heart, on your heart. So friends, know that know that big picture. Don't remain in your guilt if you feel guilt. If you feel no guilt, well, you know. Maybe you should feel a little guilt. <laughs> but don't remain in your guilt. Allow the Lord to bring you into the light. And know, know, understand, preach. Preach to yourself and to others. The big picture. That our God is a God of grace. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, one and the same. The God of Abraham, the same as the God of Paul and of John. And of Peter. He is a God who delights to forgive sinners and who delights to make them holy as he is holy. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, for this morning that we can gather and that we can give you praise, that we can give you worship. I pray, Heavenly Father, for us today that we would know your truth, that we would see it, that we would be uh, enraptured by it that we would not just hide in guilt when we feel guilt, but that we would come to the foot of the cross and receive forgiveness and receive grace and mercy. Heavenly Father, for anyone here today who is far from you, I pray, Lord God, that you would be at work in their heart by your spirit, that they might come to know you and to receive you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that us uh, churchgoers, Here we are on on a Sunday morning in church that we would be able to talk about the faith, not not as just uh, uh, law, not as rules, but as truth. Yes, moral truth. Yes, perfect holiness and righteousness that we ourselves can walk in, not through our own efforts, but by the powerful work of your spirit. That we can come as those who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray this in His name. Amen.